0: Fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to F Triple G BT. Now this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom Dr. Michael Denon.
1: Dan, I'm just so excited. This seems to be my year. We've done D&D. We've done Lord of the Rings. And now we're on to what is arguably my second favorite book series ever. Um, The show we'll discuss. And I know we're not discussing the book. But I will stand by (laughs) my second favorite book series ever. (laughs) Well, that's good. Well, you know, we all is grinding
0: axes is a science as well, you know, so uh, we'll try to see what we can do. Let's see if we can fit it in here, Denon, because, you know, I have some as well. Uh, But there's one man who can grind an axe with his teeth because they're metal. Uh, That is running back at you. you Uh, Ben, how are things? Are you still safe up there on the brain station?
2: You know, Dan, this week I've been, yeah, it's very safe. And, I, and in that safety, I've been revisiting my favorite branch of mathematics, statistics. There's just something so beautiful about how randomness can be predicted when you
0: have enough of it. <laughs> I think that, well, we've had a lot of it already in this episode. So I think we're going to be all right. You know, it made me think, so we're going to talk about the show Foundation. It's not the foundation, which, uh, you know, I had to change all of my notes. Like a lot, I had to erase a lot of those. But we are the brain trust. And in a lot of ways, we are our own mini foundation. We are a collection of knowledge and history that could be used to restart civilization. You know, uh, I think we all have different aspects. I don't know. Do
1: you guys think we could do that? Oh, we could clearly restart civilization, Dan, as long as the vast history of our, you know, recordings is not wiped out. But all knowledge needed to you know run civilization, whether it's you know making sure your dreams are safe um, or your stone vehicle knows how to run. I mean, we've right. got it all. <laughs> so
0: what what else could be missing? Well, women, number one. So restarting
1: civilization might be difficult. No, but we, <laughs> the current state no, like, the, cu- the current genders, the people, but <laughs> the knowledge we have, Dan, and we right, did yeah. and we did talk about the episode where all men were wiped out. So,
0: right. We figured it out, too. So, yeah. yeah, I feel like it's a little easier with all women.
1: No, that's what our point is. We know how to yeah. restart civilization. Not with us, but we have the knowledge <laughs> of how to do it.
0: Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, let's say we'll cross that bridge when when we get there. Uh, but there's one bridge, then and you asked me to cross very early on in my research, and that was look up psychohistory. I was very confused at the time, Dennon, and, and you told me to, to research it. So I did. Turns out this is a fictional science. You had me completely convinced that this was a real thing. Uh, But it's basically this idea that uses history, sociology, and math, statistics, uh, to predict the future. Using large data sets. You know, this, this is looking at data sets on empires, human human lives, empires uh, over the course of gazillions of people over hundreds of thousands of years uh, for predictive models. You know, much like how our current AI does, but with even larger data sets. Uh, is that kind of right? That That's the general oh, thing. Yeah, I no, got.
1: you got it right. And I, I think the I loved it as a kid because I made the immediate analogy and connection with what we try and do with, say, water. Right? Mm-hmm. Water, you care about knowing whether it's an ice cube, water, liquid water, or a gas, because you want to know, can I drink it, can I make things cold with it, or is it just floating away? Right. But water is made up of 10 to the 23rd plus molecules. You don't track each molecule and predict what each one's doing to decide if you're going to get liquid, you know, gas, or ice. You measure sort of global statistical variables like temperature, pressure, volume, and then you predict the state of it. And I kind of think of these three states kind of like empire, democracy, and anarchy, Dan. Um, okay. Right? And all the people are the individual molecules. You could try and track what every person's going to do, or you could do what psychohistory does and develop a, a sort of average theory of what state will the whole civilization be in. And, mm-hmm. you know, Harry Seldon does this really well. And I do think at some point we'll develop this this cool mathematics and science, or mm-hmm. AI will take over the world first. I don't know which.
0: <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. So, right, I yeah. mean, the, the, the individual doesn't matter at all. The individual electron. You know, you're talking about there's a mole of these things, you right, know, 10 exactly. times, six times 10 to the 23rd. So, it, individual people, they don't matter. You and I, Ben, well, mm-hmm. Ben probably matters more than us because he can do these <laughs> statistical models much quicker. But that's kind of a scary thought when you think about it.
2: The thing I really wonder about is we already do so much predictions about populations with things like polling and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. in that case, we use small samples to extrapolate to the whole population. And I'm curious why we need such large numbers. Like, why isn't our current size of population enough?
1: You know, it really comes down to what you're trying to predict, describe and do. So Mm -hmm. what is large in physics um, depends. That's what's Mm. really cool about it. So like. You know, when when we all know, for instance, we've learned from this show that if you want to right. describe foam as a fluid or a solid, large mm-hmm. is five to 10 bubbles, right? That right. doesn't mm-hmm. sound very large, um, but it is and it can be. Um, and if you're trying to predict like opinion, you're totally right, Ben, right? Like you don't need to poll everyone. You poll a few hundred, a few thousand people and statistics tells you how to match that opinion onto everybody else. Just like if you want to know if you were in an empire You only need a few people to know if you're in an empire. But if you want to Mm. predict the future state of what's going to happen, that's when you need a lot more stuff. So it depends Mm. on what you're predicting. That determines what large is. And that's what I love about physics is large is an arbitrary thing.
2: (laughs) Sure. Is future state not how people will vote?
1: (laughs) Well, no, because not necessarily, right? Because depending how you vote, you still don't know if the empire is going to win necessarily. Right. It's a variable in it. It's part of it. Yeah. But it's not okay. the full prediction of the state of your system.
2: Hmm.
0: OK. Well, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, look at like a, a die, let's say. Right. Like if you have a six sided die. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can say randomly it's going to be one out of six. But if you roll it, you know, you know, you get a one, get a two. You know, let's say you do that 10 times and let's say six comes up more. Often than the other. Let's say it comes up three or five out of that 10 times, right? You can still put it up to chance. But let's say you do that 10,000 times and six comes up. of the time, you know there's Mm -hmm. probably something wrong with the die. (laughs) Yes. Right? So so I think that like that's when you get these large numbers really does predict the future because in that case you could predict to a high degree of accuracy that the six is going to come up seven out of ten times. I think that was what I said. No,
1: I think it is. And and you've learned by studying your dice... Dan, that Mm -hmm. someone is a cheat, either you, because it's your dice (laughs) or whoever else gave you the dice, you (laughs) know, and and that's part of interesting things going back to the individual. And this is in in the book. It's very clear in the Mm -hmm. TV show. They imply it in season two and they talk about it a little bit in season one. They talk about these outliers, right? You know, there are things that the theory feels can sometimes be hard to predict where an individual decision might really mess things up. Right. And, yeah. and the analogy I might give to that is, right, you're, you're, you can predict that under a certain temperature, your water is going to turn to ice. Right. Mm-hmm. But if somebody snuck in a little bit of salt in one part of it, that part of the water is going to stay liquid longer. And mm-hmm. so your prediction will get messed up. So it's not quite the individual mattering, but sometimes lack of knowledge can mess up your predictions. Right. That makes sense. I mean, what's
0: interesting, you know, with Ben talking about the the polling, I just want to quickly mention this because, I, you know, I kind of agree with Ben a little bit when it comes to some of this stuff because, you know, you look at the old farmer's almanac. This is, you know, this has been used for, you know, 120 years or whatever. And they use old models of weather to predict you know, the weather for your crops three, four months in advance. You know, people can't mm-hmm. really predict what the weather, I mean, unless you're in California, can't predict what the weather's <laughs> going to look like, you know, <laughs> next week. So there is something, and those are much smaller data sets than 10 bazillion years in a bunch of different climates, yeah. right? So there there is a level, you can predict the future even with smaller data sets, but it's not as accurate, I think, it was with large ones.
1: I think that's all right. And then what you're going to do, Dan, when you look mm. at that, right, mm. is... That's kind of like the cool thing about it. if you think about the almanac, right? Yeah. You've got a lot more data on that particular scale, right? You yeah. don't really need to know in the almanac which hour of the day it's going to rain. You just kind of right. know that this week is going to be a little rainy, so you adjust your crops right. accordingly, right? right? The, the dude yeah. or woman on the TV is trying to tell you which hour it's going to rain so you know when to have your picnic. Um, right. That's much more specific, much harder, or and much less data around it, right? So you can really see the impact of statistics in the weather person versus the almanac versus galactic disaster.
2: Yeah. Right. And, well, and and to and to throw the throw the wrench in as we have mm-hmm. into our climate, uh, you know things things change when you mess up those systems when individuals upset that balance. You know, mm-hmm. no one would have thought a uh, hurricane would hit Southern California. But that happened this year, and so, th- and an earthquake, and, and, and an earthquake. Speaking of time. statistics, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So there's this there's this very interesting thing that um, while you can predict these things with serious accuracy, once you start throwing wrenches in the mix, it gets all messed up. And and given that, now we need a bunch of earths to predict what's going to happen, uh, <laughs> right? In in the climate changing scenario. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well and in this show, right? I mean, the the Harry S- Seldon, I believe, he's one yeah. who, who has this psychohistory and this formula for predicting the course of the empire that we're in that's in the show. And he decides to create the ultimate monkey wrench. You know, exactly what mm-hmm. you're talking about here, Ben, is he wants to create this thing called the foundation which is basically a galactic encyclopedia of everything that's gone on so that if civilization were to fall, they could, much like the brain trust, they could restart <laughs> civilization with their n- combined knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically, you know, a library of Alexandria in some ways, uh, mm-hmm. except not as analog, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it does it really be right right now, but, yeah, <laughs> religious
2: zealots. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know,
1: it, well, maybe. Which, yeah, <laughs> what's really cool about it, Dan, yeah. is you've got this idea, right, that knowledge is going to save civilization. Yeah. Um, But it also shows the other side of psychohistory, right? Uh, a physical theory is only good and useful if not only can you predict what will happen, is you can model, if I make a change, what will that do, right? Yeah. And, and there's it, it comes out in the TV show a little. I think it's a little stronger in the book. Harry realizes— that it's too late. Like he tries a whole bunch of stuff in his model. It's too late to prevent the fall of the empire. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would love to do that. That would be the better outcome. Yeah. But he can create his foundation, as you said, to shorten how much time there's anarchy in between. And mm-hmm. so he goes with what he can change um, based on his model And and commits to that. And so I think that's kind of cool is that you have some predictive power here. It's kind of like if I put my water in the freezer, you know, will it freeze in time? And you realize Mm -hmm. if your party is in an hour, you may not get ice. If Mm. your party's, you know, three days in the future, you can make a lot of ice and save your party. You certainly can. Yeah, I
0: mean, because this foundation is in some ways like a save point for humanity, right? If yes. We're gonna go the video game route, so mm-hmm. uh, which is very helpful if humanity gets wiped out, or if you, if your freezer gets ice scraped. I don't know. I don't know what yes. happened there. But, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, it, I, this is a really cool idea, but it also is a lot of work. You know, they have to go, they have to get permission, they go to the far end of the galaxy, and then they have to start collecting all of this data.
1: Uh, that's a lot, uh, a lot to ask for. Well, creating yeah. an encyclopedia is always hard work, Dad. Like yes. people think people think us, you know, academics have it easy. But, you know, this, this <laughs> thinking stuff is hard and, and they have to, you know, research all the data, store it appropriately, make sure there's backups. Right. Yeah. And but have also what all you the choose in it.
0: But like what you choose to put in it is important. You know, you can say everything, but what is everything? And of course, you know, much like the golden record that we send out into space, you have a limited amount, even in the future where uh, however they're saving. And I'm sure there's tons of space, you know, but but you can't do everything. You know,
2: that was the thing that was so interesting to me. There's this scene in the show where they're talking about what not what numeral systems to save should it be base 10 base right 13 base <laughs> yes. what, i forget all the ones they mentioned i'm just like i think why aren't they there. just saving the concept of different base mathematics like <laughs> this isn't something that should be debated uh, <laughs>
0: But uh, these are the things that will be debated because everything gets debated ben when you're just trying to make decisions right
2: well sure but also i, I i'm just wondering why are there limits like you'd think <laughs> they'd have the ability to store God. they they have all this knowledge now why are they unable to store it all that's the thing i'm not understanding about this like presumably they have these records right now like why are they not saving that i don't know it, it, it's it's interesting <laughs> to me i guess i guess they're like still hooked up to like the galactic wikipedia and right. they're trying to download it and deciding which entries To download? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, so I I don't want to get ahead, but there's a lot of people in the empire, you know, and there's a lot of civilizations, you know, even recording just Earth's history. You know, I mean, there's records of indigenous people here on in in California from 10,000 BCE. That's a Mm -hmm. long time ago. I don't remember when—I'm uh, not an archaeologist, but I'm going to make up numbers here. I don't remember when the Egyptian civilization was, but I think it was <laughs> after that. I don't know. and you would probably know. You got the hat on. Uh, but anyway, my point is, that's a lot of—those are a lot of civilizations. And people—most people studying that didn't even know that until, you know, the, what, 15 1400s when people came over here, right? So that yeah. knowledge was just suddenly discovered, much less— you know, uh, tribes that are in the hidden in the Amazon rainforest. You know, there's tribes that haven't even had contact with human beings. We don't know about their civilization. So what is everything? You know, yeah. how collecting everything, even on this planet in 2020, 2023, where we've pretty much looked at, we've seen it all. How do you get it? And that's one planet out of, you know, 10, six times 10 to the 23rd, a mole of other planets here. <laughs> guys.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think that's the interesting thing to me is because. The, there's already some sort of record in, in the in the galaxy in the empire, and mm-hmm. I'm curious where the where the need for them to subselect that record comes from. I, I'm not sure, Denon. Do you, if you know about that sort of
1: yeah, thing. no. The, the big thing here is you, about. you know the worlds are going to fall and collapse. Okay. Like So let's say you knew Alexandria's library was going to burn. Mm -hmm. And those were the main copies of things, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's really what Dan was saying. Like, if you think about it, right, the knowledge is all there, right? Mm -hmm. As Dan said, right, the indigenous people, knowledge is all there. It's not Mm -hmm. about, you know, necessarily finding that knowledge. It's like if you want to have that knowledge saved somewhere else, like if you know Earth was going to burn, the people leaving Earth— would mm-hmm. need to figure out how to identify all the different peoples around the planet, what their knowledge was, collect it, and put it somewhere else. So I don't think it's storage space, Ben. I mm-hmm. think it's time, right? Like there's a finite number mm-hmm. of people in the foundation. Yeah. And to Dan's point, they're trying to track down every civilization in the galaxy mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. essential information from that civilization and put it in a new place. So it's not space. It's like, who's going to take the time to do it? I totally agree with you, though. The the silly conversation about base numbers like, yeah, that that has a data algorithm. You just explain what a base is and move forward. (laughs) Guys, Um,
0: guys, you're no, 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 you're missing it. No, that conversation is crucial. Oh, Here's yeah. why. No, no, no. It is absolutely crucial. Not the base systems. That doesn't matter. You guys are missing it. The important thing here is that human beings will argue over everything. <laughs> and deciding what goes into that and Because you don't have an infinite amount of time to research. So those conversations, as inane as they are, that's a snapshot of just how many of those inane conversations. (laughs) And I would argue there's probably going to be a mole, six times 10 to the 23rd, (laughs) inane conversations about what should be included. Because the same thing you could say about, you know, all these indigenous people here. um, Well, we don't speak those languages anymore. Some of those cultures don't even exist, but their language may be Mm -hmm. written down. Do we need it if it's not used? Latin is a dead language. Do we need it? You can say yes, you can say no. There are strong arguments on both sides. And guess what? I know a bunch of people who could sit in a room and spend three hours telling you whether we should include Latin or not. So I think that that inherent nature of human beings to argue over stupid things, which is why this podcast exists, by the way, (laughs) uh, is exactly what's going to hold up storing all of the cultural information of not only Earth, but the entire empire civilization. Yeah,
2: I I guess what's interesting to me is why they can't just click, you know, download all. <laughs> <laughs> like like why are they subselecting it all and I mean I mean I guess I guess they're being judgy and deciding what's important to index or something and not necessarily have it all cuz exactly. I think they already have it all
1: yeah, Ben, you're such the engineer. You're so hopeful. You think there is a download all button. Exactly. I've used plenty of software. Get I mean, Dan end. Dan is clearly focused on the human element of arguing over inane stuff, which we're mm-hmm. doing right now. I love how mm-hmm. we're demonstrating for the audience, Dan, how this works. Exactly. So uh, what we do. But I also feel like, Ben, you, you have this overconfidence in the future Galactic Empire's ability to have a download all button. Sure. I can't tell you how often I've looked for the download all button, and it wasn't there.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> but how long yeah. would it take to download all? I mean, you know, there's large <laughs> files I've added. Down- software, video games. It takes hours sometimes to download, you know, 86 gigabytes. Yeah. That's one game. What if I wanted <laughs> downloaded all the games? Yeah. <laughs> how long is that going to take?
2: <laughs> and that is the problem with them going to like the edge of the galaxy, at terminus. Like they can't get good bandwidth
0: out there. Exactly. Their internet <laughs> speeds are got to be terrible. It's horrible. Well, so this brings <laughs> it. This is there's an interesting thing here, right? So we're we're discussing. I, I think you all of us could have a conversation about what we would include in Earth's black box. But there's you know there. I'm going to put a link up on the website. There is a group trying to store a save point for humanity called Earth's black box, and it's like uh, how you said, Ben. There there's. Uh, Uh, In the event of an Earth-ending climate catastrophe, Mm -hmm. people will come and can use this to either restart civilization or for when the UFOs and extraterrestrials finally make themselves known, they'll be able to see what exactly brought us to our knees. So there are people trying to do this, but I think the process would be long and arduous.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, definitely arduous. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, all I'll say is there is a download all on Wikipedia, so. I
0: I, I did not know that. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Although Uh, it takes a lot of space. (laughs) And a lot of time. Uh, But one thing that will take you even more time uh, is trying to get through the null field. And what is the null field? So when this show opens up, this this uh, this got me hooked on the show, guys. When the show opens up. There's this gigantic like 2001 Space Odyssey monolith obelisk monolith whatever you know fancy word you want to use and it's this big black floating V-shaped device and around it protecting it from humans tampering with it is this field that seems to be Almost like a fear-inducing field. People they go and they become uh, very trepidatious about going further. Uh, they start to black out and eventually fall unconscious. I really like this idea as a passive defense mechanism that I think you know is probably something we could figure out.
1: I definitely think so. Though right now, Dan, I'm 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 a little fearful of our large word usage. We've had an arduous journey that was trepidatious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've been, my, my I've been criticized words, for not using enough words.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got to spice it up here a little bit. Hopefully, I'm using them correctly. You, but if I'm are, not, leave I it in the comments. Okay. All um, right.
1: No, you. but I love this too. I, I, love. You know me. I'm a pacifist. I'm a team player. Um, I don't like blowing things up unless I absolutely have to light them on fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, but I, I, and I love the non-lethal aspect of it. You know, this mm. idea that. You just basically make someone so afraid they can't move anymore um, and they pass out. Now, it's it, what fascinates me a little bit is like, well, what is really the mechanism here? Is it purely this mental fear thing or is there, you know, something more chemical going on or what are we really doing? That That's the part that I find interesting as well.
2: Yeah. I'm, so, I mean, we've talked before about how you can – about ways to uh, – Project feelings and images and things into the brain and you could certainly imagine that there's the ability to Hit those fear receptor. I mean fear receptors isn't a real thing. Necess- it's not a specific thing. <laughs> no, definitely not. No, but but there But you can but you can imagine that there are um, Reactions that yeah. that that fear cause like mm-hmm. the, the shortness of breath the, the racing heart all those things and you can definitely imagine that you could chemically induce those sorts of things, uh, much like, say, Scarecrow from uh, Batman does with right. his, like, with his scare powder or whatever that <laughs> stuff is.
0: It's like a chemical, yeah, it's um, like a gas, yeah. So
2: in that sense to me, the the chemical makes a lot of sense because we, you can imagine, um, you know, we have that now with various pharmaceuticals that you can, you can cause Very strong hallucinations and other scary things in people um, through those chemical means.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you're our brain expert, Ben. I Mm -hmm. mean, so when you look at a fear response is just, you know, the amygdala is our reptilian brain. It's the most base. It is fight or flight. You know, uh, it is. You know, all the the Fs or whatever they say. That's where the amygdala <laughs> comes. Right, it's all yeah. of our bi- primal instincts. Right, this is what's triggered in a f- in in fear. You know, it's the fight or, fight or flight, and it does that. Meant what's interesting about fear is that it's it's a it's a chemical biochemical reaction in your brain that immediately triggers physical responses. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the I think it's the sympathetic uh, symp- Sympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. is where all the blood suddenly goes from your inner organs out to your skeletal muscles. Your heart beats quickly. Your your di- your, your pupils dilate. You become focused, right? You uh, all that stuff. So it's a it's a biochemical reaction, and I think you know stuff you're talking about pharmaceuticals. That's more active, but I imagine there's got to be a way to induce that biochemistry remotely you know, um, in some way, shape, or form. Right? At least we know we c- it's a biochemical reaction, and we also know that we can adjust those types of things.
2: Yeah. I mean, you can also think, like, you know, we don't really... I mean, well, th- th- you know what, though? There, There is an audio cue as they're approaching the monolith. So okay. it could also be like some scary sound, like you know we. I think we all tense up when you hear like John Carpenter music, <laughs> <the> scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's lots of uh, scary sounds. Like you, if you think about uh, horror movies, you know you think like the, maybe the Psycho, eh, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, there there. It's very possible that there is a there are certain sounds that could induce that fear. Now you have the problem of why isn't of course. Salvor Hardin, affected by that. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm very curious, Dr. Denon, if, if you have any reasons for that.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it goes to the heart of my one concern with this as a defense mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Dan, you've pointed out the fear-inducing um, fight or flight. We've talked about the intensity, right? It puts people to sleep. Um, it, it's hard to imagine it's, it's, you know, general for all people. And so I'm Mm -hmm. a little worried, like, how do you calibrate this so that, you know, everyone does fall asleep without killing a few people, Dan? Like, because, you know, we don't want to do that. Um, To Ben's point, why does one person get through? Maybe you haven't calibrated it right and they're just too brave, Ben. Maybe it's random that it was Salvor. maybe it was specific. Um, Mm -hmm. I also do worry, Dan, I had not thought of this when you mentioned – it's fight or flight. Like, how do you know your fear-inducing field isn't going to cause someone to charge and start stabbing the monolith, like, with a random <laughs> right. stick? Like, I mean, that's not a good—that's um that's a failure of the defense mode if it triggers the wrong fear response. So I don't know, Ben. For me, I, I can understand wondering maybe it is specific. There's something there. Yeah. But I do yeah. think it could also just be Salvor—I mean— Saver she is the one who has to go out and fight stuff and is the 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 marshal or whatever It could just be yeah. that she's super brave.
2: It could be that she's super brave And, and I think the it, it's interesting because I don't see anyone fighting or flighting. I just <laughs> see them collapsing So I'm, I'm curious if it's truly I mean it it, it is a fear thing right because we see these hallucinations These people have that put them in these scary dreams but the people who get exposed to this field they really just kind of shut down at least from a physical standpoint. So I, I do think that it while it may be a fear response, it, it may also be some sort of um, some sort of uh anesthe- anesthesia sort of inducing thing too <laughs> because the people like f- fall asleep and, and are scared and aren't like, mm-hmm trying to veer their uh, space
0: car to the side <laughs> well so it's it's fight flight or freeze and I think there's another one uh, okay. so you can't you can freeze uh, I also think that so there's' uh, it's an interesting thing with, with fear is that when we are confronted with a threat our amygdala is all emotion and quick, res- that's what we needed to survive. All animals need that evolutionary response to survive, right? So the deciding whether the threat is real or not requires our hippocampus and prefrontal cortex. That's gotta get involved, right? That's so why we can watch a mm-hmm. scary movie and then we say, oh, hey, the threat's not real. Now we can relax and this is a safe space where we can enjoy being scared. Same thing with haunted houses. You know, H- Halloween was just uh, around the corner the other way, backwards <laughs> around the corner. Uh, so, so, so that has to get involved. But when it comes to the primal fear, if we confront something that we think we can beat, you know, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. fight off, like a spider, let's say. Some people have arachnophobia. For, for, for most human beings, our size gives us a huge advantage <laughs> against spiders, except the <laughs> huntsman spider in Australia, which is gigantic and aggressive. Yeah. Uh, but let's say it's a bear. There's no human being on Earth, except maybe, um, you know, some of the Russian strongmen in the 1920s who wrestled bears, who <laughs> think they can actually take out a bear. So for most mm. people, that's going to elicit a response that's going to result in flight or freeze. And there mm. was I just you know, I'm not a big TikTok person. I somehow stumbled across this video. It's a horrible video. It's not a horrible video, but it's this. These two girls are on a, one of these like slingshot machines. And mm-hmm. so the, the one sister is so terrified, she passes out 12 times on mm-hmm. the ride, right? It's a, it's a horrible video. This girl's like scared out of her mind, right? But when mm-hmm. she lands, she wakes up and is still afraid. It's like, oh, get me down, get me down. And you're like, she'd had no idea that she was in the air. But you can mm. pass out from extreme fear. So I think yeah. all of this stuff actually does work in here.
1: Well, it really yeah. does. And I will say, Dan, the mm-hmm. flight response is very real, too. I speak from personal experience. Um, when my kids mm-hmm. were little, we used to go to Tom Sawyer Island and eat lunch in one of the caves. Well, that and, sounds cute and wholesome. Yeah, Dan, very I mean, cute What and could wholesome. go wrong? Yeah. Now, what can go wrong? Well, when they're older, we thought, oh, let's <laughs> revisit our childhood memories and go to the cave. We went yeah. there, and I discovered suddenly um, I actually have claustrophobia. Um, and it was, it was a total uncontrolled response. I screamed, I've got to get out of here. And I shoved my eldest child who was, you know, maybe now in her late teens, early twenties out of the way, started running. Um, luckily there were no other little kids around to trample. She did say, what about (laughs) Rachel, her sister? And I said, forget Rachel. It's every person for themselves and ran out of the cave. Um, we were a little surprised. My wife did not hear my screaming um, on the other side of the river because she was not on the island with us. Um, you might have a divorce on your hands. Yeah. Exactly. There was there was no control, Dan. I, I'm just glad I didn't fight. Um, yeah. That would have been an yeah. ugly response. Um, flight was probably better in this situation.
2: Yeah, Well, I, I, and I think that's interesting because claustrophobia, flight is the best response, right? You, you want to get out of... Your your the claustrophobic situation hmm. and, and I like that you brought up the animals Dan because hmm. depending on the animal Flight is absolutely the wrong thing to do <laughs> You don't run away from a bear because then the bear will chase you and, and and hunt you you're supposed to freeze Maybe look big maybe depend, you know depending on the animal you're either su- Or depending on the type of bear you're either supposed to look big and try to scare it away Mm-hmm. Or you're supposed to um, play dead so it doesn't want to eat you because it thinks you'll give it a tummy ache. Uh.
0: <laughs> yeah, but see, those are all that's all prefrontal cortex, Ben. If I'm got if I've suddenly been on a hike and I do enjoy hiking, and suddenly mm-hmm. a grizzly bear just pokes its head around the corner, and let's say God forbid they have a cub with them, mm-hmm. I, you know. I'm all man. You guys know this, but I will, like Denon, push men, women, children out of the way to get away from that grizzly bear. I, I'm telling yeah. you, I will do that. That is the—that's your amygdala talking. That is not your prefrontal cortex. Like, hold on a second. Let me see. What is the genus and species of this grizzly bear? Well, I know with this and my my knowledge of tra- you know, like, of course well, not. You're gone. A trail of urine is the only thing that's going to tell which direction you've gone.
2: I well and that's how you get mauled by a bear because you're doing the wrong of course but but that, with that, I what, I'm, what i'm getting at here is that if, if you're well trained or yeah. perhaps yeah. if the um if the the monolith is inducing is tuned to induce the freeze response and no other response whether by you know making you, I mean, T-Rexes didn't work that way, but maybe it's making you think about the T-Rex from Jurassic Park, (laughs) where you freeze in place, um, rather than... try to run away, which is how you get eaten by a T-Rex slash bear.
0: Yes. Look, this is all true. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, as well designed as our body can be and as our well, you know, evolution has created these responses for a reason, they don't always work. But I want to quickly go back to Denon's thing here. Uh, y- you had claustrophobia and chivalry out the window. Fatherly duties to protect your children out the window. Uh, Possible lawsuits by kids being trampled was all in play. This immediately overruled all we know. I know you as a sensible, you know, loving father, um, you know, masculine husband. And all of that stuff was completely gone in the blink of an eye. That's pretty powerful.
1: It is, and that's why I think at the core this defense system is so good, Dan, because mm-hmm. it really gets to that heart of what you even said with the bear, right? We know you, mm-hmm. same thing, mm-hmm. very strong, For the very most powerful part, yeah. man, <laughs> grizzly bear, run, right? <laughs> yeah, like 100%. Even more importantly, Dan, notice, yeah. you are the analytical mastermind. I know. If anyone, you would be the one to analyze the situation and determine right. which bear is this. Is this mm-hmm. a fall on the ground and pretend to be dead bear or is this a runaway bear? And you fully admit, at that moment, analytical mastermind no eh, more no
0: no more <laughs> no more no it's true uh you know and also you know you you guys know i love ufos and i always like bringing things back to this but there are some very interesting uh, classified reports that have come out from the NIDS program, which was uh, where the Robert Bigelow run program in Skinwalker Ranch, where a lot of people, intelligence officers, uh, officers, did record feeling an overwhelming sense of fear towards things with, you know, anomalous objects in the sky, things like that. Now, I don't know, you know, you, where that comes from, you know, is up in the air, but I could see an advanced civilization having. This type of, you know, this type of technology, and it would be really effective because you don't you, fear is just fear. It's irrational yep. that we're talking about, right? And there's nothing you can do. It's the perfect passive defense mechanism. If someone puts a fence up, you know someone put a fence up. So there's <laughs> someone on the other side of that protecting something. If you just get scared, you don't know where it comes from. So I, I, I like you, and I really like this. And he, reading and hearing some of these stories is, is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, and it does, you know, I just have to say two things, Dan. On the one hand, um, I did not know of the NID project, but you do remind me of the knights who say knee and Monty Python. <laughs> yes. <and> they're very <laughs> scary. So maybe yep. the aliens are just projecting a bunch of, you know, knights going knee. Um, it and it also made me think of the poor, the poor dogs who we, we put up the invisible fences um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and they try mm-hmm. and get out. And to your point, they don't see anything there stopping them. Right. I mean, yeah. this is really messing with them. They're like, there is no reason I should not be able to walk here. But um, strange things happen um, and those dogs do not cross those lines. Yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, fear
0: is, is something we all have to consider. And I would think that we could, would all argue that there's nothing scarier than an uh, authoritarian leader uh, mm-hmm. always being in power for a millennia. <laughs> and that's what we see in this show, is there's someone, a particular <laughs> leader who manages to figure out a way to stay in power forever by basically you know, creating genetic clones of themselves in various different stages of their life that rule, they're called empire and they rule for, I, I don't know, I think we're at a couple thousand years. Time's weird in this show. I'll be <laughs> honest, I can't, I can't really keep yeah. up with it. Uh, but, you know, sci-fi shows, you almost always have an empire ruling things because to your, to the point that we're talking about here, guys, large numbers of people, a question of how to rule them effectively is always in play. And once you figure out a system, even if it's one person, well, why don't we just clone that person over and over again? Take the Hollywood approach, a successful movie. Let's just make the same movie a million times.
1: we got a successful ruler. Let's just make the successful ruler a million times. Kind of an interesting approach. It is an interesting approach. And it also gets to this this idea of how do you set up a successful sort of – um, administrative leader, right? Yeah. So let's mm-hmm. take out the autocratic empire for a second. But even just how do you have consistency, right, in any transition of power? And mm-hmm. it's fascinating that they do the three, right? You have, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, um, dawn, day, and dusk, right? Which mm-hmm. is a lot like many of the sort of um, communities I've been a part of, societies where you have a chairperson who, you know, maybe has a term of one or two years, Um one of the biggest problems is when you turn over the chair, there's a huge learning curve. So what they've yeah. done is they had a past chair, a current mm-hmm. chair, and a, say, chair elect. And the mm-hmm. three of them are, are kind of doing everything together. The chair has final authority during their time that they're chair, but they have the benefit of the past chair's knowledge, so the learning curve's a little shorter. And right. they were a chair elect, so they did some learning then. And I right. think you mm-hmm. see that in this show. At the end of the day, you know, day has ultimate authority. There is one empire, even though they're all empire, and Day just has the benefit of these two others around.
2: And I think that's what's really interesting, because one of the most important things for government is consistency, You know, knowing that your taxes are going to be roughly the same day to day, knowing that the police and the fire are going to keep operating, generally speaking, the same way they always have. The fire now, department, not, wants- not
0: fire in general. Right Dan, it's very important well, that fire, fire operates uh,
2: <laughs> fire should operate but, as predicted sure. as well. Yeah, you know, knowing sense. the hospitals are going to be open, sure. open, knowing the speed limits, knowing you know, no rights on red. You know, all this stuff. <laughs> that consistency is very important for a functional society, society. And I like that this this system is designed for that consistency. But unfortunately, it's also because it is so consistent. It can't evolve with the times, and that you know is all can be problematic.
0: Well, we have, the thing we have to remember here is this empire. Uh, from what I understand, the show and the book, the empire is one quintillion people large. That's five. like a trillion is three, quadrillion. So this quintillion is the next one. That's a lot of right. people. Yeah, that's a, it. Is that's a lot a, of people there? That is a lot of people, and you know that is a roughly equivalent to me ruling all of the insects on earth, because there's <laughs> roughly one quintillion, you know, <laughs> you're you're you don't
2: do that already. Dan?
0: I, no, I don't <laughs> yet, but I, I'm just trying to give people perspective on what a quintillion is. I may not be doing it very much justice, but I will tell you this. There's one thing that I want to do, and that is I'd like to sell one quintillion <laughs> copies of my, our new t-shirts. Uh, this one is the analytical mastermind history's greatest ponderer, uh, this, we finally have a new merch line, guys. And I got to tell you, you know, uh, you said I, if you're being, if you're being chased by a bear, Denon, there's nothing you want more than a reminder that you are, in fact, smart. So maybe you can, in that split second,
1: make that decision to fall down and play dead. This shirt will give you that edge. Uh, Dan, I do have some concerns. Um How are you going to sell a contrileon? Conti- I can't Con-tillion. pronounce it. Um, mm-hmm. when insects don't have money. But we know after the apocalypse, the only uh-huh. thing around will be insects and me. Yeah. <laughs> right? and you are the point, ultimate cockroach. <laughs> I will sell all my T-shirts to the insects. The brand um, new I
0: Apocalypse Denier T-shirts.
1: Yes, because I will be proving to them that it didn't really happen because I was still around and <laughs> that they all then uh, you know, need to buy my T-shirt. But I love these T-shirts, Dan. I think it really captures it, and it's great.
2: And just, just to drive clear, as, as the robot I am, all we need is for every person on Earth to buy 100 million of our YouTube shirts <laughs> And then we'll hit that quintillion goal yeah. that uh, that Dan is asking for. <laughs> so, you know, you can get my uh, my Enigmatic Engineer shirt or any of these other wonderful shirts. Where can we find them, Dan? Well, <laughs> you
0: can find them on fggbt.com forward slash merch. And they are so comfortable. They're so useful that buying... Hundred million should be what everyone is required to do because you never know when you're going to need that many. Uh, But you know, going back to this to this genetic dynasty, which we may need to install in this show to make sure that it lasts forever. uh, This is kind of you know you talk about on your situation, Den, where you're you're you know you have the past advisor, future advisor, and the current. That peaceful transfer of power is important, and who better to transfer power peacefully to than yourself? <laughs> uh, and in when your situation, you've got different personalities. You know, this you're just—it's just the same person over and over again. So that you don't have that sort of uh, friction between people having their own ideas. They kind of all—it's—it's it's pretty uh, homogenous. If I'm going to throw in another big word here.
1: It is. It has a pro and a con. You know, the pro Mm -hmm. is most hereditary dynasties run into the problem of eventually you give birth to a crazy person, right? Like that's only with that's only with incest. That's not with this pure genetics. (laughs) No, that's that's what I'm saying. That's the problem of most. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. Most natural dynasties, right, Mm. is you eventually give birth to a crazy person, partly Mm. because you're only willing to marry other royal people who all happen to be related to you. Right. Yes. Yeah, and right. and so that is a you know one of the cons in that situation. And so here yeah. as you've pointed out, definitely right, Dan, you have yeah. you at least know you're gonna get the minimum quality of the previous emperor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, we so have a good floor. You <laughs> have a good floor <laughs> as long <laughs> as you start fairly reasonable. But to Ben's earlier point, you lose some of your flexibility and evolution, right? Mm-hmm, um, you might now humans can learn, so genetically they're the same, but they can learn from their past, so they can change some. But I would argue that change is much slower than what happens when you get crazy person who's overthrown by the mob and you start over.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that's so. In, what's so interesting about us, because the Cleons try to act the same way as each other too, right? Yes, they, yeah. they try. They try to always be making the, what would be the same decisions, and. The problem there is that that is what is so hard about this is because is there a nurture going on here above the nature, right? Each of these Kleons is growing up in a different empire with different crises and different decisions to make than the last one. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to think that they, that they wouldn't be different. They might have the same genetic material, but their brains are going to end up wired differently. Because of that, unless maybe those nanobots in them are like making sure their brains stay wired the same way too. I don't, you know, (laughs) it's certainly possible that there's more going on here than just the genetics to keep them so consistent. But you'd have to be doing that, otherwise, the decisions they make and the the crises and things they experience are going to make them different, no matter how hard they try to be the same.
0: Well, you see a lot of interesting things with, you know, with identical twins. You know, you can have identical Mm -hmm. twins raised in the same household. You know, I knew some growing up and they're different. There are very different variations. But there's also a famous documentary about triplets who were given up for adoption and were all adopted out to different families. And the similarities and the differences are really fascinating. And on top of that, you know, we are very different people when we're young, when we're middle-aged, and when we're old, you know, very, very different, you know, our brains evolve and they change, you know, so on top of having different experiences, each one of these clones is still at a different stage in their life where they're processing things differently, you know, we see one has a religious experience, right, and that affects th- th- completely, that that could be a paradigm-shifting uh, outlook change, right? Not just, uh, oh, I'm going to make this decision because this other weird thing happened. Changing right. an entire paradigm, that's much different and very mm-hmm. difficult to replicate.
1: No, it is. And and that's where it's, it's interesting that the show, I think, goes down this direction of mm-hmm. asking these really cool questions about... How much stays the same? How much changes? Mm -hmm. Um, Other than just having three people, one with more experience, one with middle and one with less, it's sort of like Goldilocks and the three bears, right? Sure. (laughs) You know, uh, other than that, there's a lot of complexity and nuance here. It's not as simple as, oh, we're all the same. So this makes us always the same. And this redundancy is built in, which
0: is great, too, Yeah. you know, where you have you know, uh, is let's say one were to die or something were to happen, you have the same person ready to to step in. Oh, yeah,
1: that's so fascinating.
0: (laughs) You know, I mean, imagine like if we had a president and you just clone them and to stick them, you know, in a bunker someplace (laughs) and God forbid the president, you know, is assassinated or something happens, die in office. You can then just freeze the new president, bring them out, and at least they can finish their term and keep that consistency going. Right. I mean... (laughs) Maybe that's something we could work out for our U.S. government. We could be patriots.
2: Yeah, and why not run again too? Um, I, I think it's interesting because we see, we see the technology for that too, right? Mm-hmm. Each of these like each of these standby Cleons mm-hmm. has like a little uh, little thing on their forehead that's like downloading the experiences of right. the living <laughs> Cleon yeah. into it. Yeah. So not only are they an exact copy at the right age, but they're all they're also having their brains being rewired and informed the same way the the living ruling Cleon is Mm -hmm. so that they are a truly exact copy um, rather than just a genetic copy.
1: And I love this attention to detail, you know, that they recognize we can't do fast cloning. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to have the clone ready to go Mm -hmm. um, in case something happens and experience matters. So let's just feed experience directly into its brain while it's growing. So it knows everything that's going on. So. That part's super cool.
2: yeah, although it does seem like they age overnight when they have the transition of the Cleons.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I think they I'm just cari- keep a couple going. I'm curious going. about how that works. I think they have a couple going. Like they have a couple born. Yeah. They got three. Get, there's a lot of backups. A lot of redundancy. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess they just dust everybody when when they're ready to go. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, this is this is a perfect situation for a narcissist, right? Where <laughs> you feel like your opinion and your decisions will always be the best. So someone like me would be perfect in this situation. But I think you could also argue that different ideas and different concepts uh, are required in order to evolve as society. You know, there's also <laughs> a strong argument for, for that as well, but we're not going to get into that. But what we are going to get into is our errors, additions, and omissions, things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about the foundation or your desire to rule indefinitely that you wanted to mention?
1: Well, you know, I will say one thing that I love about this show. It's kind of a weird love-hate. Um, I love that they made the full commitment to be nothing like the books. Um, You know, (laughs) going all in on that. And I think for the most part, and I've watched both seasons, for the most part, they created a really good show that should have been titled, as my daughter said, in the foundation universe, but not the books. I know that's a long title, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it would have helped prepare some of us. But I will tell you, because I reread, I, 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 I went back, reread some of the books, did some spot rereading as, as we prepared for this, Dan. Mm-hmm. And there's some cool Easter eggs that I'd forgotten as a child. And I'll just mention one of them. In the TV show, Salvor Harding has her coin that she's flipping, and it's what she's using, right, um, to have her powers and do luck. In the books, Salvatore Harding's actually the mayor on Terminus. And the first time you meet him, the person he's talking to is like, well, you stop flipping that damn coin. It's annoying me. Right. That's the only like real reference to the coin flipping is it's just a habit that he has that annoys people mm. around him. So like to take those little details and there was a few others that I ran across in reading the book where the character is completely different in the TV show. But they pick one small detail from the book to carry mm. over. And I just thought that was really cool.
0: I, I knew we were going to get the axe grinding at some point, Denim. I yeah. knew. I knew it was, uh, here's the perfect place for it. What about you, Ben? Anything that you want to grind your gears about?
2: Well, well, Dan, as uh, you know, we're talking about the fear and the wild animals, and I thought I'd give both you and our our audience a suggestion, which is this great book I've been reading called Look Big, which tells you how to react when you are afraid of an animal. It tells you what the right thing is to do when you encounter any animal in the woods, Uh That way you don't get eaten by a bear or, uh, bitten by a snake or whatever
0: Uh, that is a fantastic addition what's it called think big or look 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 big Uh, i will i will do that because i have a reputation uphold as you pointed out then and i am the analytical mastermind the last thing i need to do is fall and uh, let fear grip me as i get mauled to death uh revenant style we can't have that happen uh so i have just a couple of things here you know uh the i love the moving sand based picture uh which i think is a lot of fun androids are like vampires they live forever in this show. I <laughs> uh, like the personal force field, which is really cool. Yep. And a ship that that is malfunctioning and warps at random intervals to random places. That is so much fun. Uh, <laughs> it's a great <laughs> uh, a great concept I've never heard of before. Uh, but of course, if there's other great concepts that you've never heard before, let us know about them. You can get in touch with the show on social media. We are on X, formerly Twitter, at pod. We are on Facebook at FGGGBT. But of course, you can get in touch with us individually, but don't do that before going to fgbt.com or sending us a question, questions at fgbt.com. But now for the individual introductions, Dennon, where can people find
1: you? Well, most of the major social media, I'm um, at Den and Michael, you flip my name. Of course, now that I've started my, my series, Physics of X, where X is everything but politics, and I put that on YouTube, I was reminded that I had a YouTube channel from way back when. So that's Michael Denon in the correct order, <laughs> youtube.com slash Michael Denon. Um, but of course, my website is denonmichael.com because that's newer. And then on Facebook... I don't know. You stick a prof in there just because something had to be different. And that's at Prof and Michael.
0: <laughs> well, we need some consistency in our life, Denon, with all of that. Ben, hopefully you can give it to us. Where can people find you?
2: I am nothing if not consistent. And that's because you can reach me on all the major social media networks at Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R.
0: And, of course, you can find me on X, formerly Twitter, at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram, at J Glenn. on Facebook, at Analytical Mastermind. My website is DanielJGlenn.com. And if you're listening to this and you want a full, immersive visual experience, check us out on
1: YouTube, YouTube.com forward slash Daniel J. Glenn. And if you are listening on your favorite podcast platform, before you go to the YouTube video, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe
2: if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And leave a comment down below about which Cleon is your favorite Cleon.
0: (laughs) Of course. They're very, very different. Uh, And all of them want to take over the world. And they can do it by using the knowledge that we've given them. Uh, But you have that same knowledge. And you have a choice before you. Uh, When given the choice, always choose superhero. Never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear-based technologies is a glencoe production and is produced by me daniel j glenn the fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear-based technologies introduction was produced by daniel j glenn and paul springers with music and sound design written and performed by paul springers now of course if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far you're going to want to subscribe well how do you do that FGGBT.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version. Depending on what you like, we got it for you. And if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on YouTube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.